Okay. Continue. All right. Cool. All right. So this is for um, the pain lesson for the 2022 Foot Nerd program. My name is Emily Gooding. I am a foot nerd here in Ottawa, Canada. Yay. <laughs> and I am Katie Lund. I am also a foot nerd and I am in Taos, New Mexico. Awesome. Welcome. Um, today we're going to be discussing pain, what it is, what its purpose is, and kind of the framework that Katie and I have developed for addressing pain. Um, personally, my interest in talking about pain really stems from just my own personal experience with chronic pain. Uh, I, I started to experience chronic neck and shoulder pain and, and migraines when I was 10. Uh, and it's had a really massive impact on my life and eventually leading me to work with others with pain to help guide them uh, through their experience. So I'm really just happy to have this platform to talk about pain and be able to share what I've learned through my experience and what I have uh, that I, what I'm continuing to learn. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I work in physical therapy. And so that is kind of my, my desire to help people in pain and why I wanted to contribute to this lesson and kind of discuss what, what I've seen over the years and continue to help people in probably a way that you don't hear every day. Right. And that's like really our goal is to give new ideas about pain and what we can really do about it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess like the first question we wanted to, to address is like, what is pain and what is the purpose of pain? Right. So there's, <laughs> I just put down a, a few different um, definitions just to kind of drill it through everybody's head. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so one is severe physical or mental discomfort or distress, uh, physical suffering or discomfort caused by illness or injury. Um and then an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience that is associated with actual or potential tissue damage or described in terms of such damage. And the reason why I like that is because it, all of them are saying this can be physical, this can be mental. So that's like a huge, a huge thing that we need to talk about. Um, yeah. I like that it also talks about the potential tissue damage, because I think when people think about pain you tend to think about like, there's something that's actually damaged, but it doesn't even mean that, that you could actually have damage right away. It's pain is right. used like as a signal, right. To tell you that something could potentially go wrong. Right. So I think that's like a really important thing to just note for now. Exactly. Yeah. So the, to kind of sum it up, they're basically little danger messages from our body um, via little detectors and it exists to just be alerted of an event so that our, our brain knows, hey, something's going on, stop. And it's going to decide how intense is this pain, right? And so Lorma Mosley is like very famous and well-known for always talking about pain. And he kind of explains it as pain provides a protective buffer to let us know our life is threatened. And then the size of that buffer can vary according to really anything, according to protection, right? So we can make it as big as we want it to be, or we can minimize it as much as we want. Yeah. And so from that, now it's like our perception of pain globally has kind of changed over the years um, and like just how we treat pain. So did you want to say anything before I jump into this? Yeah, next I, part? I think, yeah, I like the idea of like the perception of pain really has a, an impact. And I think a good way to think about it is when you look at a kid and they've, they've been injured and if, if you, if they, you know, they fall down and they get a little cut on their knee and if everyone looks at them 
if all the adults look right at them and and they what their response is like based on what everyone's response is if you kind of just ignore it and brush it off they seem to be fine right. and but if you give it the if you add fuel to the fire uh, it tends to make right. it worse but the action hasn't changed itself it's just our perception right so, um i think that's just like a really big lesson for us to learn and i think it's yeah it just so it just goes to show how important our perception of pain is when it uh, when we're perceiving it uh, as our experience right right that's funny um, that you say like a little kid because that happened to me at work just today with like a 70 year old person <laughs> and he was like on the leg press just hanging out doing his thing for five minutes because i just kind of like let him go for a little bit and I was in the other room, but like keeping an eye on him. And the minute I walked in, it was like, ah, oh, <laughs> like what? I was watching you. You were okay. Oh <laughs> yeah. You, that. you got attention <laughs> on you now. <laughs> yeah. I worked in the hospital. It's the same thing. We have big glass doors <laughs> in the hospital too. So you can see right through, but when the moment you walk into the door, the, the, you know, what I can provide for them with pain medication, uh, the way they express their pain is completely different than right. in the room. <laughs> like I'm on to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> pain is really silly in that way. I think, I think it just, and I guess I guess it's a good segue into like what we're going to talk about next and what our current treatment of pain is. Um, so there's, I mean, there's tons of statistics you can throw out. out. Uh, I think some of it's really important to just note. So in 2019, 20.4% of adults had chronic pain uh, and 7.4% of adults had chronic pain that actually limited their life or work activities uh, in like the previous three months. Um, and these numbers are very likely underreported and ex- they're going to continue to rise. We're expecting to see rises in, in pain numbers. Uh, worldwide, we have about 275 million people uh, ages 15 to 64 that use drugs at least once in 2019. And among them, about 62 million uh, people use opioids and we have a really big opioid problem too. Uh, Worldwide, annually, there's about a five, there's about 500,000 deaths that are attributed to like opioid use. um, And about 30% of those are caused by overdose. Uh, And we're seeing a huge rise globally in the amount of opioid use that we're seeing and opioid overdoses. Um, and I think it's just partly because of the way we're managing chronic pain. Uh, I've seen more and more that, I mean, when I was working in the hospital too, the amount of people who are just regularly on, on opioids, you know, take, yeah. they're just on dilated all the time, hydromorphone, right? People were just, just had fentanyl patches on them. And this was like a daily medication that they were taking. And this is, this is what the treatment of pain is. Um, and it does maybe suppress or get rid of pain, but there's no, the pain is still there if you get rid of the medication. So I I wouldn't call it an actual treatment of pain. Right. Um, The over the count, then that's just opioids. There's also like over the counter painkillers that we're, uh, that we're using. Um, We spent 4.2 billion, this is in the States. So they spent $4.2 $4.2 billion in 2017. And then by 2020, spending $4.5 billion. And this is just on over-the-counter analgesics, not including any topicals uh, and not including any prescribed pain medication. So, you know, what we're seeing is like a rise in the amount of chronic pain that people are having and a, ri- and a rise in the amount of pain medication that's being prescribed. But 
we're still seeing chronic pain rise. So I don't think that just looking at those numbers, our, treat, our current treatment strategy is just not working. So we, we need to have a different approach. Right. Totally. So yeah, like, and then that goes into what we're going to talk about, how we can start to address pain and evaluate it and have a more, uh, have a more strategic approach to addressing pain. Right. I just wanted to also add that um, in addition to like the way that we treat it, it's also kind of how our healthcare providers talk about pain or even imaging like x-rays and MRIs. And I think people see those things and they read the words and are so scared because first of all, they probably don't know what half of it means. And then the doctors are not so great at (laughs) explaining what those things mean. And so that's just like another perception of how we can change, like really educating ourselves on what, what does it really mean to have like degeneration inside of my body, which all of us do, you know, like it's not something we're ever going to escape. We are all degenerating every day. That's, that's sad, but it's just like a fact of our bodies, right? They're just going to break down a little bit, but we all hear those terms and we get really scared and that can just perseverate, right. And create even more pain internally. Yeah, I think when we give like put a label on it and add a diagnosis or tell people that they have this, they have degenerative disc disease, it makes them a little bit, they have this more sort of victim mentality is that this is what I have, this is what I live with, and then there's nothing else I can do with it. This is just what I exist with. It's a disease that I have um, and there's nothing you can do. So it's really uh, disempowering to to hear those things as well. Yeah. But I think... Um, you know, what we're going to talk about in our framework for addressing pain is going to help empower individuals to be more proactive and uh, be a little bit more intuitive and listen to their bodies more so that they can address their their own pain or at least uh, help manage it. Right. For sure. All right. So should we get into how we should address it? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, let's start with that. And I, maybe just to break down the, the framework a little bit when we're talking about how we're addressing pain, uh, our approach we're taking is looking at our five pillars. So looking at our physical wellness, our nutrition, uh, our sleep, our mental well-being, and our sense of community and seeing how each of those pillars impacts pain and how we can make changes to those pillars and make and have make changes so that we can actually address the pain from there. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I think one of the really big ones, they're all really big, but (laughs) a really easy one for me to figure out is physical wellness. And, and that doesn't mean working out all the time, but it just means what are you doing physically all day long and trying to think about that and notice just basically becoming aware of your body and what is your body doing all day long? So you can just kind of break down your day and figure out what are some reoccurring factors that you notice like, oh, when I do this, it causes pain, just little things like that. And we can get into a pain journal later, but, um, yeah, I, I, go ahead. Um, for example, like I'm standing up right now to, to work and we record this and it gives me the freedom to just move around. One of the things that I noticed with my own personal kind of pain journey was that I was sitting down at a desk hunched over like this all the time. Um, and that was 
really contributing when, you know, after you know, looking back at it, I'm like, wow, like my head forward posture, all of this tightness in my pecs, that was contributing to the pain that I was experiencing in my neck. Uh, and yeah. that was contributing to the migraines. And when I had spoke with my doctor about this, he's like, oh, you're, my mom had migraines too. My dad also had migraines. So he just assumed he was like, it's a genetic thing. You can take pain right. medication where you have it, just be you know, aware of how it's going to affect your life. And you're going to have to take time off of work whenever you do have a migraine. And, and that's it. And I was like, is there anything else I can do about it? Is there like, what am I doing wrong to, to do this? And it's like, no, there's nothing you're doing wrong. It's, it's you just need to take the pain medication when it, it just happens. And right. just like, I, I didn't want to accept that yeah. as the only answer. So when I started to move around more, I started to work and, and started to be aware of my posture and people were pointing out to me, it's like, you're really rounded forward. You need to start strengthening your back and being more aware of your posture and your head position and take breaks during the day and, and move around more. And I started to do that and the pain started to disappear. Right. And you weren't so. really doing anything specific. There weren't like these, like five specific exercises you were doing. There was no pain medication you were taking. Yeah. You were just moving. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't have to add anything to my day. I think that's really important too, is I think people think like, I don't have time to like go and do my physio exercises or do all of the stuff. Although they're really important, but like, we got to start with like the root cause and what's causing this. What are you doing in your day-to-day life that's contributing to the, the, the pain that you're experiencing? If it, it could be musculoskeletal pain. Um, yeah. What are you doing day-to-day? And if you can just eliminate that or change what you're doing, you don't have to add all of the extra crap into your day. Right. And even changing it just a little bit, you know, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Like you don't have to completely be sitting on the floor all day long if you're at a desk. Right. But, but try to get up from your desk or try to now stand for a little bit. So that's basically what I was going to get into is, um, think about what is your work day like, or are you working? Let's just say you are though. What is your eight hour typical eight hour work day looking like? Are you at a desk all day? Are you driving? Are you commuting? Is your commute lengthy and uh, stressful? (laughs) They usually are, right? Um, And like, how do you spend your meals during the day? Uh, Is it stressful? Are you just like throwing down food? Or are you actually like enjoying the process of eating? Um, And then things like watches, like um, what are fancy watches called? (laughs) 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 Apple watches, all of those they do a really good job of tracking our movement and it does give you very good feedback of like how much you're moving. And I think you even had a little story about that, right? Yeah, I, I use the whoop strap. Um, my, my fiance uses it now. It's called a whoop strap. It's not a watch or anything, but you wear it, you can wear it on your arm. You can, you can do activity with it. Um, and I really like it because it acts more like a coach. I'm not like sponsored by whoop or anything, <laughs> like that, but um, I just really like the coaching aspect. So it'll tell you like, Oh, you're yesterday. You did didn't get a good or last night you didn't get a good sleep uh you pushed pretty hard yesterday so your recovery was pretty crappy consider lighter activities today consider doing some yoga or gentle mobility work and if you are well rested and recovered it tells you you had a really good sleep it'll encourage you to do more high intensity activity uh, and to move more throughout the day but i know so that some of like the apple watches too they'll just say, tell you like have reminders and i know you can set up the reminders as well yeah. so you know every hour on the hour you can just get up from your desk you, and i think people tend to be so binary with the way like you know i either sit or i either stand but right. we, there's that whole spectrum in between where you can 
You can sit for part of your day. You can stand, you can sit on the floor. And if you really can't like sit on the floor anymore, you're too tired to sit on the floor, you probably should just spend some time lying down. But your workday can be dynamic um, and it can be flexible based on the way you're feeling. Some days when I have a really crappy sleep, I, I just don't, I can't stand all day. It's just exhausting. So I'll, I'll opt to sit more on the floor on those days. And in other days where I feel really good and well rested, I tend to want to stand up more. So I think people right. like to have these like really hard rules for themselves. But if you just listen to your body, um, mm-hmm. it'll tell you what it needs to do. Right. Totally. Yeah. And then if you have a specific workout routine, um, (laughs) a lot of people sit, you know, for their jobs and then they go to the gym and then they go, they sit on a bike for another hour and do like a really hard workout. So just thinking about those things, you know, people don't really think that much about it, but it's huge when you're driving to work, you're sitting for meals, you're sitting at work, and then you're going to go sit on a bike, you know, do something different, do at least the elliptical, go walk. (laughs) Don't even go to the gym, just go outside and walk. Yeah, Uh, I'll get into that later. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's just these little things that, you know, most people aren't thinking about. And we're trying to get you to think about it. From, from my own personal experience too, like I was a nursing student. So I was sitting around like hunch, I was reading all day, going to class, doing this. And then I would go to the gym and then punch out like a bunch of bench press movements. And then I would go do boxing, which was more, more so it was like, my pecs were just fired up and like, it was brutal. Um, and then I started doing jujitsu and people are like, Oh, you should probably strengthen your back. So I'm like, okay. I'll, I'll start to strengthen my back and just being mindful of like, what do you do in your daily life if and and how can we the, the gym and you know if you're going to go exercise that should be a tool to help you with the rest of your life it shouldn't make things worse right. so then right yeah just using it as your time that the exercise time is is there not to punish you but there to make the rest of your life a little bit better yeah and thinking about like unwinding what you just did all day long like so yes. if you're like in a flex like posture that. all day long try not to do that and try to just like unwind yourself, do anything, but those like flexed forward positions. Yeah. We yeah, have this whole like the opposite. yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So walking, there are tons of studies out there showing that walking decreases stress by releasing endorphins. And obviously that's more likely if you're outdoors doing this, the endorphins stimulate relaxation and improve our mood. It also decreases low back pain, improves mental performance, dopamine release. Um, it can be a signal for dementia. Yeah, <laughs> Side oh, note. Um, and then it's just meditative and can create social bonding, which is great because a lot of people need someone with them to do these things. Yeah. The um, interest, can I just jump in to talk about yeah. endorphins? Endorphins are just chemically, they're very similar to opioids. So you right. have your own endogenous uh, opioids in within your body uh, that, that are there to help work on pain too. So walking, very, very powerful one. Right. Yeah. We have all of these things either on the earth or in our bodies. Like we already have all these things and we just need to learn how to use them again, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, natural sunlight is another thing that decreases stress, improves mood, vitamin D, we all know what that does and can actually decrease depression. Um, natural sense can make us feel calmer. So just being outdoors, just sitting outdoors can improve our um, immune system. Um, what else? Yeah. So then there's like this whole other, do you want to jump in? Yeah. I mean, I know like the Japanese, they, they 
their physicians are prescribing what is it called forest bathing yes um, <laughs> as a way yeah and it's just amazing and they have amazing effect from that and it's just basically going for a really mindful hike and the the impacts of that is just so great we have it all inside of us to to do all of this work right exactly um this is like a little bit more movementy related but basically um I think we forget about the rest of our bodies when we have like an ache or a pain. So we're thinking about like the joint and and every time you feel that pain, you just think like, Oh, it's in the joint. It's the joint. It's the joint, right. I'm deteriorating. It's all falling apart, but we actually have this huge complex fascial system that actually it's way more intense than like anybody ever thought. And it's, it's really just, it's more recent research when you say in like the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years or so. Um, but it's a huge link to pain. And especially with walking, if we don't have that like fascial mobility to just glide through our walking stride, then things are going to just tighten up and you're going to feel pain. You're going to load things a lot differently. And so I just, I tell patients this all day long, or I, I try really hard to explain fascia and how it works and how just because you're feeling pain here does not really mean that you're feeling that tiny little rotator cuff tear that you saw on your MRI that you're thinking about all day long, yes. right? It is probably everything else that's associated with that. So I think that's summing up our whole, that section, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? But yeah, I guess just to wrap things up in that section is just be aware of what you're doing day to day. What does your day look like? Uh, And we'll talk again about like that pain journal and how we can have a more, um, a better approach to to how you can evaluate this and keep an eye on it. Um, Yeah, be aware of it and see what's impacting you, what's helpful and what's not helpful and and just take note of it. And that that's going to just become a student of your own body everyone's really different too. And so if you just start to become students of our own bodies, learn what works and what doesn't work for us, um, you're going to learn a lot about what movements will serve you and which ones don't. Exactly. Yeah. Just listen to your body. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Do you want to jump into nutrition now? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, So there is a powerful link between food and pain. Um, It, you know, certain foods and nutritional deficiencies can really impact pain conditions. Um, when, when we just talk about the human body, I think the, the only thing our bodies are really concerned with is safety. So if what you're eating does not just deeply align with your biology, your body is going to look at that as like a foreign invader and try to fight it off. And that's going to set off a cascade of like an inflammatory response. And that's going to present in the body as pain. So for me, it's the the big, I'm not going to give a lot of nutrition advice. And I think the most important thing is to have a deep relationship with the food you eat, like knowing where does it come from? How is it prepared? And what is its impact on your body? Uh, What I eat and what you eat will have different effects on us altogether, something that you might be able to eat and that might serve might serve you really well, make you feel really good, might be actually harmful for me. Um, like I said before, just become a student of your own body and learn how these things impact you. Uh, and you can keep a journal about that too. Everyone's biology is completely different. Our ancestors came from different places and thrived on eating different things. So again, just learn what works really, really well for you. For like my fiance and I, like he thrives, like if he eats meat, 
he he feels really strong. He feels good. For me, I think it sets off some sort of like inflammatory cascade in my body, and I don't do very well with eating meat. So I tend to thrive more on uh, eating fish and eating uh, lots of fruits and veggies. Um, but and it kind of makes sense. Like he's from colder climates. Like his ancestors would have had access to meat. Like my my parents come from my, my ancestors are from places where you had access to fruits and veggies everywhere tropical environments so uh, I just thrive really well on that I think learning what works well for you personally um, is, is really key because there's just so much information out there about nutrition it's so nuanced it changes so regularly so I think what's most important is just learning really what is key for you and and then lastly just staying hydrated um is so important for your body. And my analogy that I use is like, if you look at your muscles, if your muscles are well hydrated, you're, it'll act like a nice tender filet mignon, it can fall apart, it can move easily. (laughs) Yeah. But if you're dehydrated, your muscles are going to act more like a beef jerky. (laughs) It's not going to move very well, you're going to experience pain. Um, So staying really well hydrated is key. Totally. Yeah. And just adding in there, real food, right, is the biggest key factor. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to just fall into that packaged pre-made food, but we all know it's not the best for us and anything that's processed. It's obviously terrible. You know, if pregnant women shouldn't be eating it, then probably none of us should be. Eating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good way to I'm think about saying, it, right? If it has a warning label for pregnancy, no one should be. Right. You can't <laughs> no make a human be. while... <laughs> But it's okay on any other day. Yeah, uh, it's so wild. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So just cooking our own food and like taking the time. But I think that even that is like meditative and beneficial, you know, like to create that time for yourself to care about what you're putting in your body and to not yeah. be so rushed that we just yeah. like need to pick what whatever is just sitting there. Yeah, food is just, I think people tend to think of food as just like in equals out, it's just energy going in, right. but it's just so much more than that. Um, yeah. It, not that long ago, if you didn't cook, you didn't eat. It was as simple as that. And now it's just so yeah. accessible to have food just delivered to, to your home. I have a drugstore that's open 24 seven. It's open on Christmas where you can buy junk food, just right. that, you can buy Oreos at two in the morning on Christmas day. <laughs> Like that's super, super accessible. So I can understand why, um, why it's really difficult for people, but it's one of those fights that you just have to have to keep working on. Yeah. Yeah. Have to actively make those changes. Yeah. Right. Um, Right. The next thing, um, the next pillar is the the community pillar and and looking at our relationships. Um, Susan Pinker had this awesome TED talk and she talks about the predictors of longevity and one of the most important predictors of longevity is our social connections and our sense of community and that had a bigger impact on longevity than if you look at like exercise nutrition whether you smoke or not if you don't have a sense of community then almost like what's the point there's there's nothing else that that matters um And like, as I mentioned previously, safety is at the root of all human life and all human action. And we're really biologically programmed to seek safety. So historically, when we are surrounded by others, we're stronger in numbers uh, and more resilient to our surrounding threats. So we can just relax, we can rest, we can recover. 
and we can heal. We're not in that sympathetic flight or flight response all the time when we're alone and we have to watch our backs all the time. So when you have a tribe of people that are there protecting you and helping you, um, you can you can rest and take the time to recover and turn that sympathetic nervous system off, activate the parasympathetic nervous, the rest, digest, recover system, um, and just let your guards down and let yourself, your body heal. Right. I don't I think it's this is definitely one of those underlooked aspects of pain management too is like how well connected you are. I, and I've had these moments yeah. where um, I've been injured before from, you know, from training or whatever it is. And I like, all I can focus on is the pain and how uncomfortable I am. And then I'll have some friends come over and then the pain just disappears. And then when they leave, the pain magically comes back. The pain, nothing changed with my injury in those, those couple hours. Right. Um, but you're it was distracted. just my environment and we were distracted. And that's, that's really powerful. It is. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, stress and anxiety, you know, taking care of your mental well-being, very, very similar to how everything else impacts you. And I know you touched on this, too, with walking uh, and how physical movement, everything's just really tied in. Um, but when you're stressed or you're anxious, your cortisol levels rise and these, this cortisol dysfunction can result in um, inflammatory responses uh, as, as in response to stress. So that can also contribute to the, the cycle of inflammation and pain. Um, right. So, I mean, there's so many strategies to care for your mental health. And I know that everyone's really struggling with their mental health right now, especially with all of the COVID happening and all of the lockdowns, it has made it significantly worse. Um, so, you know, again, with mental well-being, I think it just really depends on what's working well for you. Uh, you could journal, spend time talking to a therapist. I recently got a counselor and it's probably one of the best things that I've done for my own pain journey. Uh, and I didn't think that it was going to be one of those things. I thought I was just going to deal with my emotions. But then as I realized, I started to to talk about my emotions and how it's impacting my body. I started to feel better too. That's what works right. for me. Spending yeah. time doing things that you enjoy uh, and that fulfill you. I think that's really important for your mental well-being. I don't know if there's anything mm-hmm. you wanted to add there. Yeah, I guess just identifying those things that make you happy, right? And you kind of have to like push yourself to get into it. If you've, if you're like truly kind of in that depressed and anxious state and you don't want to be around other people, but ultimately we know that that's the best thing for you, but it's hard to like get past that hurdle. And so it's a scary thing, but you kind of have to just push yourself into it and find the things that make you happy and, and just go after it because things won't change and they'll only kind of like downward spiral without you making an actual change. I don't think those things really change on their own. Right. Yeah. One one of my favorite like things to to do if I, is to get bored because when you're bored, you learn what makes you happy. So if you don't know what makes you happy, get bored first and just like give yourself (laughs) nothing to do and you'll start to find things to do. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And we do that idea. with kids. I think with like that, that's the thing we do with that with kids, right? Kids are so distracted now. They have iPad, like they're, they don't have a second away from doing things. When I was a kid, we were, we were just bored. And if you're bored, <laughs> you'd find, you'd find something to do with whatever you've got, right. whatever space you had. And, and you start to realize what fulfills you. Um, so I think yeah. if we, you know, have that childlike mentality and become bored every once in a while, just, if you don't know what serves you, you don't know what helps your mental health, it takes some time to do nothing. Right. Yeah. It's a great idea. I wish I had more of that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard to find time to be bored. <laughs> boredom. <laughs> yeah, you have to schedule boredom into your day. <laughs> Add that to your journal. 
Okay, <laughs> sleep. Is this our final one, I think? Yes, sleep. Yes. It's All right, so sleep complaints are present in 67 to 88% of people with chronic pain disorders, which is pretty crazy. Oh, that's um, and at least 50% of individuals with insomnia um, suffer from chronic pain. So I don't, I don't know if that's a big enough indication, right? All right. So let's just go through the benefits of sleep that most people know, but it boosts your immune system. You know, you restore, you reset. It helps prevent weight gain because it's boosting your metabolism only with a normalized sleep routine. Um, it improves your mood, increases productivity, increases physical performance, and improves your memory. I'm sure there's like a list of a bunch of other things too, but those are like the top ones. Um, so I would say begin tracking how much you sleep, how much sleep you get on a daily basis. And I think it should be around seven hours. Would you agree with that at least? Yeah. So, I mean, the recommendation, like, well, the average is between seven to nine hours. Um, most people are, that's not the average. That's the average you should be getting is right seven to nine hours. Um, the average is like, uh, I think under six now, which is really, really disturbing. Um, but you know, it, depending on what you do day to day, I know Roger Federer, who's a you know, professional athlete, he spe- he sleeps like 11 hours a night and that's what he right. needs to thrive. I noticed that if I need, if I have a very intense day where I'm doing a lot of reading, or if I'm working with a lot of my clients, uh, it's just a heavy, busy day. I tend to need, you know, 10, 10 to 11 hours of sleep. And on other days, I only need seven. So again, listening to your body and seeing what it needs. But I think the most right. important thing is sleep regularity, going to bed and giving yourself the opportunity to sleep because I think right. most people want to sleep. And then by the time the morning comes around they're they don't want to wake up. So that means they need more sleep. But if you give yeah. yourself enough of that sleep opportunity, you can wake up whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And just for the people who say, well, I'm fine on like five hours of sleep or, or even less than that. Like, no, you're not you're not, <laughs> you might feel not. like there's no, it, but there's no there's, way you're thriving. <laughs> yeah. There's something going on in there, whether it's like weight gain, you know, like these people are probably overweight that are saying that or, or something, you know, there's something going on. That's, that's lacking severely. Yes. You right? can survive, but you might not be thriving. And it's right. like, why we can take sleep as an opportunity to just thrive. It's like one of those things, everyone loves to sleep. Yeah. Um, it's a lot cheaper and accessible. It's like the most accessible superpower that we have, but we just, yeah. there's so many distractions that we don't want to sleep. It makes it really, really challenging. And I think the most important thing is making sure you prioritize it. Right. Exactly. So leading us to ideas to improve your sleep, um, increasing your exposure to natural sunlight. There's a study that showed two hours of bright sunlight increased the amount of sleep by two hours and sleep efficiency by 80%, which is wild. And I think that was like severe sleep disorders, but still like even the average person is still going to benefit from just at least a little bit more sunlight exposure on a daily basis. Yeah. Even just waking up first thing in the morning, stepping outside to just get that natural light on you to wake you up and tell you, okay, it's daytime now, turn off all the sleep systems. We're awake. And just doing that regularly throughout the day, you'll really get that strong. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in this really strong circadian rhythm. It's a very powerful it thing. is like by oop, 10 o'clock, like I'm done. It's time to go to bed. Oh yeah. I never, I had not experienced that until I quit 
working at the hospital and doing night like shift work. And oh. then I started to eventually get this like nice sleep cycle. And it's, it's a super powerful thing. It's like someone drugged me. <laughs> like, wow. Is this what it's like to be a human? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was very bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Sad, but true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So like just taking that time to get that sunlight is, is this very, very powerful. thing. Totally. Yeah. And I feel for all those people, I don't know how you do it, how you work night shifts, but I mean, some people do it exclusively, right? Ugh, it's amazing. And yeah. so unnatural for us, unfortunately, but I know some people absolutely have to do that. There's yeah. no way around it. So here's some other ideas. Yeah. Uh, reducing blue light exposure in the evening huge one. So stop watching TV and you're using any screens two hours before sleep. That's, yeah. that's a tricky one for, I think a lot of people, cause yeah. they're probably like, what am I going to do for two hours? But it, it there's so many studies to show that it, it helps quite a bit. Yeah. Um, that, that'll, that'll be your boredom time. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> uh, so boredom is sleep. exactly. And then you get more sleep. Uh, I think also like, you know, two hours is a long time for people to start. So if that's challenging for right. you start with 20 minutes, then yeah. 30 and then, yeah, that's you right. Can, you can start. You don't have to jump to two hours. Be kind to yourself. Right. Exactly. Um, what else? Avoiding caffeine after 3 PM for me, it's like 11 AM. I can't have any more. So yeah. listen to your body, figure out what works for you. Mm -hmm. uh, reducing irregular daytime naps, uh, irregular sleeping altogether, uh, waking early, like Emily mentioned, sleep early and just stay consistent with that. Um, and then obviously avoiding alcohol, exercising regularly. And then another good, easy thing is just modifying your bedroom. Like, do you have these huge bright lights coming in from like artificial lights outside? Um, or even just like alarm clocks or whatever. We all have like a million electronics, but trying to minimize all those yeah. lights at night to make it because we're humans and we're not supposed to have all these artificial lights around us. And the less of that that we have, the more human we are being and the easier it is for us to sleep, right? And just to be humans. <laughs> Yeah, I've reserved my bedroom for just like sleep and sex. That's it. Um, those are like the, and if you, you have to make like hard rules for yourself or like, I'm, this is not the place where I watch TV. This is not the place where I scroll endlessly for hours on my phone because it makes it a lot harder. Your brain makes these associations with what you're right. doing. It's like, oh, bedroom, it's time to scroll on my phone. That's not what you want. Yeah. You, you want the, the moment you hit the bed or you even step into your room to your sleep sanctuary, you walk in and that should be like a place where, oh my gosh, I feel tired already. And you know, the only thing right. that that's used for is to get, get to bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome idea. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think that concludes it so we can. Yeah. Oh, and exercising regularly. Oh, yeah. you have them. So draining that battery is so important. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, like for me, it's like my dog. I know if I don't walk him, he's going to be like pacing around all night long. Right? Exactly. Yeah. The same thing with humans. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta drain your battery. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, walking since I started, I have a dog now. And since I started having to walk regularly and often, like I started to sleep better. I feel a lot better too. Like, you have to empty yeah. that battery in order to, to recharge it overnight. But if you have a full battery pack you, there's no need to sleep and it makes it really difficult to sleep right your body wants to just keep moving and burning yeah and yeah. And, then, and and how does that really like impact pain I think that's like you like what the how part yeah 
yeah and like why I think just making I just want to bring it back to that connection between sleep and pain and you know when you're sleeping if you don't sleep enough it basically sets off that like stress response in your body right too and that's going to exacerbate pain in, in all the other ways that we talked about too and if you don't have energy then you can't move well right. yeah you yeah your immune system foods. yeah yeah the immune system is low your metabolism is low your mood is down uh, like all of those things. And so that is what creates more pain and why yeah. that study shows what it does, unfortunately, yeah. sadly. Yeah. So just getting regular sleep is like, it kind of just sets the foundation up for, for everything else in your life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like how all of those pillars are really like interconnected with each other. Like you can't yeah. really, you can't miss one of them. Yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> you really need them all to be an effective good human <laughs> yeah and and I mean that should be like the end goal I think we tend to think of like health as uh just like an objective but I think health is one of those journeys that we have and the goal mm-hmm. should be to play the game as long and as well as possible so we don't have to be really hard on ourselves and, and have to try to make all of these changes because a lot we have to work on our sleep and our physical wellness and our sense of community all at once it's a lot so um with our, right. the framework that we've created we want you to just pick one or two things right you might be suffering in all of these areas but it's really hard to address all of these all at once so i think just starting off with picking one or two things that you want to work on, whether it's like, okay, I, I think my sleep is like the one that I, I can have the energy to work on right now. Um, and then make that a priority for yourself. And then you can make a game plan. Um, and we talked about pain journaling. I mean, do you want to go into the pain journal talk a little about how it can be a useful tool? Yeah. For, especially for people with chronic pain, I think it becomes so much a part of their lives. They don't even feel when it's worse, when it's better, when it's not even there, they just kind of assume it's always there. And so by keeping track and really writing it, it makes you aware of your body. And what was your saying that you were saying earlier? I liked whatever you were saying is oh, becoming okay. a whatever of your own body. Becoming a student of your own body. Yes. And, and yes. this is like you're literally taking notes about the things and you're being right. observer, an observer, you're being a scientist. And that's just how scientists work. We we look at what's going on in the world, we make observations and we try to make connections between figuring what's going on. Um, exactly. I noticed my, my dog does that too. Like, you know, he'll just sit there and just look around. And I think all he's doing is taking in all of the information from the world around him and then yeah. trying to put the puzzle pieces together. <laughs> And, and then they just become calm dogs later on um, and they, they just start to understand it. So I know it, like, and that's how they learn. They don't go to formal, they don't go to like school, some right. do, but, like, um, but they're not, they're, they're taking, that's how they learn. They just take in information, they make connections and that's, that's how it is. So I think if we start to do right. that with ourselves and like notice what foods serve you, how does sleep impact you? And then that's like a really, if, if you have a hard time with like pain journaling too, some of these useful, there's all that technology that we have now, we can utilize yeah. that technology. Like the, I know with the Apple straps and all that stuff, they usually have areas where you can you can add in questions and to like a little survey in the morning to see how you slept, what did you do yesterday, and they'll put it into graphs for you so that you can understand how the activities that you're doing in your day to day life is impacting you, uh, right. impacting your sleep, impacting your energy levels, and and everything, and you can make those connections with your pain as well. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people will start a pain journal or whatever kind of journal, but not be able to step back and 
and look objectively and figure out, well, what is happening here? What do I do with this information? So totally take advantage of, of all that um, technology out there as annoying as it might be. It actually is beneficial. Absolutely. (laughs) And if let's say you're one of those people who likes to journal too, if you went to a physical therapist or someone who can help guide you with the pain, like imagine if when people come to you with a pain journal, that's like Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So people like, if you can't make the connections or you're having a difficult time understanding the connections, still make those observations and we can, we can find people that will help you make those right. observations and make those connections and give you suggestions because you might just make those observations and not know where to go from there and then that's where you can kind of seek the help of others to right. that, that are much more knowledgeable uh, in particular areas uh, but you need to understand what's going on in your body uh, and how the world affects you how your external environment and your internal environment uh, affects right. you and then you can take that information and and seek the resources there right yeah. Yeah. And just focus. Yeah. Focus on what you can do versus what you cannot do. Um, I think we tend to become victims of our pain mm-hmm. and there's a lot that we can't do. We don't want to fixate right. on those clients. So what can you do? I mean, we can start with just the sleep here. We can start with yeah. putting more fruits and veggies into our diet, eating real food and right. take it one day at a time because, you know, it's easy. It's It's so hard to, to look at what the end goal will be and try to be like, I, that sounds impossible. I can't see myself in that place. And that might, that, that end goal might be five, 10 years down the road. So we just have to take it day by day and, you know, celebrate those little wins that we have. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it just helps you take control over your body and not let the pain control you anymore. Realizing that you can totally control this and do whatever you need to do. I mean, we, yeah. there are so many different aspects of this, like to just choose one thing is going to make a difference. And bit by bit, you're going to find those differences are happening. Changes are happening and you're going to want to just keep doing more and more and more. Yeah. And then it just takes you out of those bad habits anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of just your pain, you're going to just feel better in general and you're going to optimize your, your health in general and have more energy. So even if you're not in pain, you can still use this framework uh, yeah, to help exactly. you and prevent pain too. And, and once you've addressed whatever it is that you're trying to address, whether it's you know, you're trying to improve your sleep, um, you can always come back to this framework if you've had pain, if you get an injury in the future, or you know you start to develop pain in other areas, come back to it, evaluate going through those five pillars. What's my physical wellness looking like? What's my day-to-day look like? How does my nutrition look? How is that impacting my health, sleep, community, yeah. mental welfare Where did as I, well? Yeah, yeah. Like, did you fall off one of those pillars at some point? You didn't even realize it, right? Are you like, yeah. it's summertime, it's vacation. <laughs> oh yeah. Lose track of everything. <laughs> come yeah. back to it every time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And we can just continue to use this tool and continue to, to move forward there. And like I said, it's the, the goal is to play the game for as long as we can and as well as we can. We're not trying to jump to an end goal. We're not trying to get to the end. Because like, what is the end of health? There really is no end. Yeah. I mean, it's just like living a good, healthy life, right? Oh, right. And, and I use the word healthy in there. So. Yeah. Just it's living a, it's a, a good life. Yeah, being more <laughs> Where- human. Yeah, exactly. You're being more human. You're not letting things control you. You are in control of your own life and your own body. Yeah. Also, like appreciating your body and not just like dumping on it and kind of blaming it for everything. You know, like we, the 
the ailments that we have are a product of what we're doing. And that's kind of like, again, what all the five pillars are addressing and making us just very aware that we have this full control. I think we drove that point home, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I, would, I really like that point of just like you're in control of your own body um, and you do have control over all of the circumstances. And yeah. I think when we start to, yeah, as long as we're not victimizing ourselves, because it's just so easy to be like, my body is betraying me right now. Right? Um, and it's not doing what I want to do. It's not, but at the end of the day, it's, it's us. So we have the power it, and it's in us to do. And, and sometimes we just need a little bit of a boost. Sometimes we need some guidance, um, but, but it's okay. It's okay to be in pain too. Right. Um, and it's okay to seek help for that pain. Exactly. Nice. Um, a couple other things, I guess we just wanted to touch on. We talked about, yeah, pain as an identity and not just a signal uh, and then using pain medication. Um, so, I mean, our purpose right. of this is not to get you to just drop all your pain medication and do this. You can use pain medication as a tool versus using it as a treatment. So your pain medication can help you. Um, if you're finding it difficult to move in your day-to-day -day life and you just can't even get up off of your chair, but pain medication will allow you to do that, use it as a tool to help you move more. And hopefully over time, you won't need that aid as much anymore and you'll be able to just move more. Um, right. If you're, I mean, we talk about like antidepressants, sometimes people need antidepressants to help them just get, get that kickstart, but yeah. it should not be the end goal. It should be used as a tool to help you get to where you need to go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just else? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say that it's never, it's just to drive home that point again, that it's never going to fix anything, right? Like a, a pain medication is, it's never the fix. It's always like, well, why is that pain there? And we have to like, keep going back to why, why is it going on? And by addressing all of these things, you can actually figure out why are these things going on? And usually it's yeah. within our power. That's yeah. the great part. Yeah. Yeah, this is like a, I mean, just going through all of this, is, it's a really empowering process. Um, I think it just gives people, puts pain back into their own hands. Because I think we just think of pain as a very random occurrence and like, oh, I just have pain. It happens to me. Um, right. So I, I just, I really hope that this conversation helps people feel empowered and gives practitioners a little bit of a framework to help um, others address their pain. And, you know, and I hope, uh, I just hope this is the start of something really cool. I hope so too. Nice yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, it was just such a pleasure talking to you. I, I, I think people are really lucky to have a physical therapist that has your type of philosophy because there's not a lot of them out there. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm, it's going to be nice to see lots of change in the way practitioners are, are working with the individuals and their clients and their patients too. So yeah, I'm excited to see Same. the shift. Right. We're making a change. It's happening, everybody. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Um, I hope you have a wonderful night, morning, midday, whatever, whenever <laughs> you're listening to this. I just realized that we're all in different time zones and people are not going to be listening to this live. <laughs> See you in the morning. <laughs> awesome.